0: Thank you for listening to the Life Church podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. Well,
1: tonight is the first night we've tried to pull off what we're about to pull off. And, and I think it's exciting, and I count it an honor to be able to pastor a church with this much ministry in it. And and if there's one thing I felt like that God called me to do when I come to Caldwell Parish is not to pastor a homogeneous church to where everybody looks like each other, says the same old thing, even though Christ must be the center, there are so many different expressions. And the Bible says collectively we catch a full view of Jesus Christ. So that's the goal tonight. And having said that, you ministers uh, anybody that's ever ministered or called to minister, one of the greatest tactics that Satan used against us is jealousy. Jealousy, and maybe that's not even a good word, or feeling like I don't measure up to the next minister. And, and that's what tonight's for. And I don't want you ministers that are going to be ministered tonight to think you have got to preach like anybody else. You ain't got to act like anybody else. You ain't got to do it like anybody else. I want you to be comfortable in your calling... Tonight, and let God use you for just 15 minutes. Let God, use <laughs> let God use you where you are. Don't fall for the temptation to mimic another ministry or be like anybody else. Amen. We want, we want the diversity in the body of Christ because it's our greatest strength. The only thing we recommend here or we require here is we stay within the boundaries of God's holy word. If you do that, it's going to be good. Come on, Josh, and get us kicked off.
2: uh, Me personally, this is, uh, I come up under, not only is he my spiritual father, but he is my actual dad. So I come up under him. He's literally been preaching my entire life. As long as I've been alive, I've been listening to that man preach. Uh, Matter of fact, a couple years of our life, we were evangelists. So I listened to him preach literally every single night. Exactly what I was thinking. Uh, <laughs> no, but, but coming up under him, and then when I started getting older, and it, and it looked like I was headed in towards the ministry, the first thing everybody started telling me was, oh, you're going to be just like your daddy. You're going to preach like your daddy, and all this kind of stuff. So then when I did get into the ministry, I struggled big time because I wasn't like my dad. We're too... I mean, y'all know, most of y'all are from this church, so you've heard me preach, but we're just two totally different people uh, when it comes to our ministry, and I struggled and struggled and tried to be like him and tried to force it to look like the way he preaches, and finally one day, I'd, I'd been at work all day in the woods and come home and went straight up into the youth room, and was just praying to God, saying, look, I need something to change because this just isn't working, and in that moment, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, I didn't call you to be your dad, I called you to be you, and from that moment, my ministry just became natural. It became it felt like that's who I was, and I was no longer trying to be him. Uh so and nothing against my dad, of course, because I, I can honestly say I wouldn't be here and be the minister I am if it wasn't for him. I thank God for my heritage and my legacy and and all that good stuff. But anyway, that was just for me and what tonight is. And I think that's so right, because lately I got the chance to travel and preach at a few youth conferences in Texas. Well, this last one that I went to, it was in the house of uh, Pastor Connie, and she's just one of those where you just look up to like, wow. She's, to me, she's always just been a champion of the faith, just someone we've always looked up to. And there was another minister there, another prophet uh, guy there. And, and so when worship started that night, immediately I just went into one of the worst mental battles I had been in a long time of feeling like I had to be like one of them. Like I either had to be like Sister Connie the way she preached or I wasn't the prophet type like like this other guy. And just, it was such a struggle. I literally had to stand through about 90% of worship just praying, stay in your lane, stay in your lane, stay in your lane. Just be who God's called you to be, be who God's. So, uh, so it is such a temptation, but it's such an honor to be in a church where you can call a night and have four or five different people get up and preach and speak and say things. So it's awesome and, and I've, got the privilege to learn and grow from and and iron sharpens iron from all these guys you're going to hear tonight every single one of them have have had some type of influence or impact into my life whether it's been for years or months or whatever it's been but before I call the first one up I have to at least share this little small nugget okay I'm not going to preach or anything uh but God's been showing I've been teaching a class on Wednesday mornings uh me and Jennifer. and uh, it's been at, just out of Colossians, just taking Colossians and breaking the book of Colossians down. This is probably about my fifth or sixth time to actually teach Colossians. So I figured by now, I've got this thing down. Like, I just know Colossians. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. Well, I come across a scripture and it just, actually two, but I'm not going to do one of them. But just, it came so alive and so different to me. And it's uh, Colossians 1.15 says, uh, he is, talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation, firstborn of every creation. So I begin to look at this, an image actually right here, if you break it down in the Hebrew, actually means the exact representation and revelation. So it said Jesus was the exact representation and revelation of the God that we could not see. So everything you ever want and need to know about God can be found in finding out who Jesus is. And, and, and this was so big to me because I feel like a lot of times we tend to disconnect the two and we put God of the Old Testament and Jesus of the New Testament. And that's how we look at it. And we look at God only connected to things we know about the Old Testament. So we connect God to judgment and harshness and, and condemnation and all these kinds. And then we say Jesus is just the grace and, and he loves us and he's here to save us from God. When in reality that's not the truth. The truth is Jesus came to reveal the heart of God. So how would God handle the woman caught in adultery? He would handle her just like Jesus did. So you begin to see all these pictures and these images of Jesus and what he did and how he was, and all of a sudden I get a better understanding of this God who seems so far away. He seems so hard to comprehend and to grab a hold of, and now all of a sudden, oh, I get it. So he's not sitting in heaven looking to cut me from the team. He's actually trying in every way, form, or fashion to show me his heart and how much he loves me and what he has for me. And that becomes the understanding. But aside from that part, what's awesome is we've always heard that your identity is in Christ. And what's amazing is this scripture is about Jesus Christ. But this scripture that seems and appears to only be about Jesus is actually the scripture that gives you identity. And why did he hide your identity in a scripture about Jesus? Because your identity is hidden in Jesus. And if you can't find out who Jesus is, then you can't find out who you are. I said I wasn't going to preach. But check this out He is the exact revelation and representation of God. And He's the firstborn. So if He's the firstborn, it begs the question who is the secondborn? Guess who that is? So he's not the only one born to be the exact reputation of God. He was just the first one. So then when I am born again, see the connection? Uh, My favorite scripture in the whole Bible, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. So he is the firstborn of every creature. I am born again as a new creature. Then all of a sudden, I am the secondborn, the image of the invisible God. Then all of a sudden, I'm born into the exact revelation and representation of God. So just like I told you, we understand how God would handle a situation because we see how Jesus would handle the situation. Lost people should know how God would handle a situation by how we handle the situation. Oh, that's just good, man. That's good. But anyway, I'm not preaching tonight. Let's move on. I am so excited tonight. And listen, this is what I want to do. I want to show honor where honor is due. Uh, I know we've created this thing in the church where you can't you can't lift people up because it's, we we're so scared of pride. But I'm just not that scared of pride. Okay, tonight we're gonna to honor some men of God, and we are going to lift them up in the anointing that God has put on their life. So tonight. We're going to kick this thing off with Brother Freddie Mercer. So y'all give him a hand and make some noise for Brother Freddie. Honor the gift that has been given to him tonight.
3: Well, I can honestly say why I got to go first. I'm the oldest, and they thought I would die before they got a chance to speak. (laughs) Scott came back and he said, you're going first. I said, yeah, I see where this is going to play out. Y'all want to get me out of the way because it's past my bedtime. But no, seriously, I wanted, uh, Nisha came to me a while ago and she said, what verses are you going to use? I said, I don't have any verses. She said, well, where are you going to be speaking out of the Bible? I said, I'm not going to speak out of the Bible. I'm going to speak what God put on my heart. She said, Dad, you rock. I said, well, I won't even have to use the computer. (laughs) But no, I do want to share with you today some stuff God laid on my heart and uh, especially this year. And if you'll go with me back to about January, um, I started having some health issues and uh, just didn't feel right in my chest. And when I would do things at home, you know, whether it was just whatever, feeding cows or doing something like that, my chest would hurt and I told Rosetta, I said, something's just not right. And uh, at that time in my life, let me go ahead and just say this, I wasn't in a good relationship with God. And it's not about um it's not about adultery, drugs, alcohol. You don't even have to go to that level. You're just not in a good relationship with God. It doesn't mean you don't even pray. I was praying, but I wasn't living in an intimate relationship with God. And so uh, as this was going on, uh Rosetta took me in, did a heart cath, and the doctor said, you know, you're got like an 80% blockage in one of your arteries. And he said, we're not going to send you home. We can't send you home. You know, scared something to happen. And so they went ahead and admitted me to the hospital and was going to do the open heart surgery. And I didn't know a lot about that. But what I want to say is that that's the level God had to take me to to get my attention. And you say, well, God, you know, made you have heart surgery. No, God didn't do that but God did allow it to happen so that it would turn my life around. If you don't walk through the valley, there's no mountain. There can't be a mountain without a valley. And so I think God let me walk down this road. And so as we did, you know, uh, did the heart surgery and everything came out fine. But at the time my heart stopped during surgery, uh, a change really took place in my life. In my life, I thought several times in the past that I had been broken I thought I had been to a low level with God and God had broke me and showed me something really a lot of us sitting here tonight have never really been broken we've had some hard luck and we've had some things go bad in our life you know but being broken is when there's nothing in your life but God and at the time I started to go into heart surgery I knew then that that it wasn't, well, God, you know, I'll, I'll only serve you because I'm going through surgery. No, it was that God brought me to a level where he wanted to totally change my life. And Brother Dean, I'll tell you, uh, as I was in the recovery room, when I came out of recovery, he'll tell you that things I said out of my mouth, and you're so drugged up, you know, uh, strictly had to come from God, did it not, Brother? It had to come from God. And so that tells you that God was doing a change inside of me. But what I want to tell you tonight is that if we can learn to live or, you know, stay in a broken state as much as possible, then God can use us because brokenness takes out all the junk in your life that just like there was hindrances in my life that I could not get in tune with God. And so the brokenness clears that out of the way. And we need to learn to pray our way into that brokenness. A lot of times we hear the old term prayer closet. Well, I think prayer closet can also be a a branch off of brokenness. It gives us a chance to get one-on-one with God and correct some things that's wrong in our life. And that's what God did with me. If it had not been for heart surgery, Lord knows if I would be in church tonight. So I think God did let me walk down that road. I'm not proud of it, but I am proud that he let me come back to him. Now, what I want to say tonight is, and I want to kind of move into a new level of brokenness, is that oftentimes we, we try to single out things that are bad in our life, whether it's finances, our marriage. I'm telling you that brokenness brings breakthrough, and I've said that before in this church. If you want to break through with God, you become broken And I promise you, your marriage will never be better than it's ever been. Your finances will just fall into place. And I know because even since I've had surgery, there's been times that Satan has tried to pull me away from my brokenness. And I would say, no, I've already been there and I know what it's like, so God let me come back into the brokenness. When we say we want to die daily or crucify ourselves daily, listen, all God's telling you is take yourself every morning. When you get up, go back by that cross. And become back into that humble state. Just like a child. That's why God speaks a lot of times about a child in the Bible. Because he can bring you into that humble state. Where he can use you. He can do things with you. But cause of pride and issues. Or maybe we have too much money in our bank account. Those things stand in the way of us being able to do what God wants us to do. And so you know. Tonight I hope and pray God doesn't take you out to the level he took me. But. There is going to be some time in your life that God, you you will find a brokenness, and that's usually when you can only turn to God. And when you turn to God, He'll fix all the other things, just like He fixed things in my life. Gosh, Rosetta and I have been married, uh, well, almost 34 years now, and we act like kids going down the road. Man, we're holding hands and giggling and laughing, and it's plump stupid, you know. (laughs) But... (laughs) But last, she'd been gone for two weeks to Baton Rouge, and last night I was, I was asleep, and I'd reach over and I'd keep reaching over patting her, and she kept saying, What do you do? I said, I just want to be sure you're still there. <laughs> and I'd reach over. To, but I mean, God will fix all these things in your life. Right. Listen to me tonight. I don't care what you do at Life Church or any other church you belong to, if you do it out of brokenness, I promise you, you're doing it for the wrong reason. Uh, Scott loves to sing But if Scott sings one note up there And plays one key on that guitar Out of anything other than brokenness He's performing He's not worshipping There's a difference in performing and worshipping It could be Josh on the drums It could be uh, anybody On the piano Or singers If you're singing and you're saying Look at me, look what I can do Listen to my voice You're in it for the wrong reason When you get up there, you're up there to lead worship. And these people out here are to follow you in song. And that's what God wants us to do is worship. And he wants us to worship in brokenness. When we get up there, we should be so humble because all the junk has to come out of our lives. I had showed this once before, and I'm going to show you again. If this bottle is my life, which it was probably before I had heart surgery, Well, God wants to put into me certain things so that he can use me and he can do his will. But there's no room in me for God. This bottle's full of junk, basically, and that's what I had in my life, a bunch of junk. But the more with junk we take out of our life, God's got room to put something good back in there. And I mean, you got to look at it like that. If we get the junk out of our life and let God install in us, then he's got room to work. But we, he can't do it when we're full of junk. Listen to me again when I tell you this. Brother Dean, one of the few times he came and visited, nah, I'm picking, brother. But no, nah, when he did come and visit with me one time, we were talking. And I told Brother Dean, I said, you see the cows and the tractors and all this junk out here? I said, it don't mean nothing. And you go back to the old saying, you never saw a hearse follow a a, uh, hearse, never saw a Wells Fargo truck follow a hearse, but you've never seen an Atlas van line follow one either. So you're not taking that junk with you. I mean, we can enjoy things in life. We can enjoy our bass boats and our jet skis and all these. We can enjoy that stuff, but we can never let it come between us and God. It just can't happen because if that stuff is more important to us than God, then we're not broken. There's no brokenness in our lives. And so that's what God wants us to do today. The reason the churches in Caldwell Parish can't come together today is strictly that we're not broken. And I'm not talking about life. I'm talking about all the churches. All the churches could come together, and all God's people can come together and worship, and we could all be one if we could swallow our pride, get the junk out of our life, and give God room to work. So hopefully, you know, what, just uh, just what uh, Brother Dean spoke about earlier, I hope that, that that opens a door for us in Caldwell Parish, you know, that we can become broken. And the other churches would uh, come on board with us. I had a chance a few weeks ago to go to a police officer's uh, little ceremony where they were honoring police officers at a Baptist church here in the parish. And uh, it was a nice little ceremony they did for us. But I did have a chance to stand up, and I, that's what I wanted to tell the pastor. I told him, you know, how much we appreciate them doing what they did. But I also wanted to say, you know, we've got to come together as one. We've got to swap, uh, swallow our denominational, you know, limitations on each other and just love each other and worship each other. And we can do that in a broken state. God wants to do that. And today, if our prayer can be, you know, God, let uh, let me be broken. Tear down all the junk in my life that's hindering me and hindering my life. Listen, when Jesus died on the cross, not only was his body broken and the bones in his body broken, Jesus was broken spiritually. He, had, not spiritually, but mentally, he had to get. He, Jesus prayed a long time before his crucifixion because his mind had to be set in a certain place to love the guys that were killing him and beating him and to do what he did for us on the cross. It took a lot of mental preparation. And that tells us today that we have got to enter into that same steps as Jesus. Mentally, we've got to be ready for what comes our way, whether it's heart surgery or anything else. And we've got our work cut out for us in Caldwell Parish. But if we can get our mind right and into brokenness, swallow our pride, and whether we play music, teach Sunday school, whatever you do, do it to the best of your ability, but let God be the author of it and let him lead us and teach us, then that's what God is looking out of us and we can come together as a church. So I just wanted to share that with y'all tonight.
2: Thank you. I remember uh, when Brother Freddie had gotten out of the hospital uh, one Monday night, a group of us, men all, went over there and uh, I just remember that night so so real, just sitting there listening to him talk and it's... I don't know, it was just something like he said you know, at the hospital when God was just speaking through him. It was that way that night. You're just sitting there listening. It's like you were hanging on every word he was saying. There was so much richness and fullness and, and uh, it was just amazing to, to draw from that and to draw from someone's experience of what they had to go through. That's why we're in a body. That's why we're connected is to be able to see that and learn from that and something that someone else went through is able to grow us and teach us and, and, and point us in the, re- in the right direction. So next up, uh, he's not much to look at, uh, but God has placed him here for a reason and put him here with us. And I've already got to hear a little bit of what he's bringing tonight and uh, I'm excited. So y'all, uh, y'all, y'all show some honor. Give it up for Scott Mercer.
0: i got to make sure I look at my clock so I don't go over 20 minutes. I'm going I'm to chase this water bottle real quick. Y'all can watch me pant. Uh, man, where to go with this? So I, I want to I touch on some scriptures first. We're going to, what God had on my heart is, uh, is basically defined in family. And usually if I get up here, I've had a vision, usually. I've been up here twice. One time went over great and one time didn't. Y'all forget the one that didn't, those of y'all that was here. The one that did, y'all bring it up, man. That's good. <laughs> nah, but uh, this one wasn't necessarily a vision. It wasn't a, it wasn't a vision God gave me. Uh, it was something I had to live, basically. Uh, he, he put me in some, I, don't, I ain't going to say God put me in some spots. I put myself in some spots uh, to where I wasn't doing what I should have been doing to the best I could have been doing it. Uh, one of the biggest things I'm going to talk about is communication. Uh, it's just we don't got it right. I don't know how else to say it. Uh, we don't invest enough. Right. We don't invest enough in our relational capital with each other. Josh has been preaching probably all this year. I think he started earlier this year preaching on family, right? We started preaching on family, how we're supposed to be a family, how tight-knit we need to be. And this is, I didn't know it at the time when I prepared all this. It's been months ago I prepared this. I didn't know it at the time. But God began to show me over the last week that this is prophetic in nature. And this is where he wants to take this body. And this is what has to be established. It's not a choice. Okay? So it's, it has to be established so that it's t- so tight-knit and so knitted in love and rooted in love that things can come our way, but it won't rattle the cage. Right? Because there's so much out there that depends on it. Does that make sense? How many of y'all in here has been praying for revival in community? Let's see your hands. I hope it's more than... Okay. So it's been several of us. We've been just seeking that. That's what we want. Breakthrough in the community. Unity together. And we want to see that. And God's saying, you're going to see it. Right? He's already given us words. We've seen it. We've been praying. Hearts been knitted together already. We're seeing breakthrough in leadership in the community. But for what he's going to bring, we have to be close-knit together. And that's what I'm going to touch on tonight. Nisha, if you will, give me that first scripture. So what we're going to do is look at some scriptures that basically look at family for me. This is what I got out of it, family. Uh, John 15, nine, 9 through 17. And it says, I've loved you even as a father has loved me. Remain in my love. And when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so you'll be filled with my joy, and yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other the same way I've loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, and if you do what I command... I no longer call you slaves. Didn't we hear that this morning? We don't want to be children. We want to be friends of God. So he's saying, do what I said. Do what I commanded you. Now you're my friends, Since I've told you everything the father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. So that the father will give you whatever you ask for. Using my name. This is my commandment. Love each other. We could probably stop there, but I got two more. James 5, 16 through 18. Now, I want to remind y'all, this is is all, there's tons of stuff I could pull out of the scripture, but the main context of this for me is painting a picture of family. How does a family deal with each other? How do we communicate with each other? And this one right here is one of them. James 5, 16 through 18 Confess your sins to each other, pray for each other, so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human, as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then, when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield crops. Confess your sins to each other, and pray for each other so that you'll be healed. And let's go to Matthew 18, 15 through 20. It seems like a lot of scripture. Y'all just grab the, the bulk of it. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Y'all got that? But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say will be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat the person as a pagan or corrupt tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. This has to deal with us dealing with each other, right? So let's look at some definitions real quick. I want to look at confrontation, number one. Now, we're talking about communication. How do we communicate with each other? And, and this may seem, some of y'all may have no interest in this whatsoever. I understand it. But I've learned for me to love you means for me to seek the best interest in you. Okay? And that's every one of you in here, and I'm serious about that. I take that to heart. I believe it with my full heart. I want every one of you to reach your full potential in Christ. That means I love you. That's what I'm looking at for you. And I would pray that you do the same for me. Because if we're going to be family, close-knit, dealing with things, things pop up, right? In a family, it pops up. How many of y'all had them hard conversations with a family member? I'm sure my dad's had a bunch of them on me. <laughs> yeah, I knew it was coming. My wife probably had more. But as, as we're family, these things come up and we have to deal with them. And, and a lot of times what I figured out is we don't even want to deal with them. We don't even want to touch the subject because we don't want to offend nobody. We don't want to be offended. We don't want to be vulnerable, right? And those are all things we're fixing to touch on real quick. Let's look at a definition. I didn't give this to I'm sorry. Confrontation means to face up and deal with a problem or difficult situation. So in context, this, in, this uh, message When I say confrontation, it's not a bad thing. Let's go ahead and wipe that clean from your heads. Because I know a lot of people see, they're like, confrontation, and a buzzer goes off and you run. It's okay. Confrontation's okay. That just means we got a difference and we need to come to terms on our difference. Even at the end of the conversation, if it means that we don't agree to disagree. I told Brother Love this the other day. If we agree to disagree, it's okay. We're in this thing together, okay? We're family. I love you. I want the best for you, and I expect the same back. Conflict, a serious disagreement or argument. Typically, a protracted one means lengthen. That's typically one that goes way longer than it's supposed to, just because you can't come to terms, okay? Communication is the core of all connection, and without communication, there is no connection. You understand that? If I do not talk to you, then I can't expect to have any connection with you. And if you don't talk to me, you can't expect me to have connection with you, okay? We have to have some type of communication. Now, I say talk, and there's a lot of, there is either verbal or nonverbal communication. You understand? Some of us have really bad nonverbal communication. I'm probably one of them. You probably tell me something, I'm like, uh. Eh. I'm just sitting there looking at you like a calf in Newgate, just... I ain't really even picking up on what you're putting down. So I have to rely on verbal communication. I can't rely on my nonverbal communication. But I think it's important that we know how powerful verbal communication is. All the scriptures that talk about the tongue, right? Everybody knows this, right? There's so many scriptures that talk about the power of a tongue. And that's that's how valuable your communication is with each other. We can't expect connection as a family without communicating with each other. I can't expect you to be my brother or sister and connected to me without sharing my heart with you. And I can't expect you to be connected with me without the same thing. The best thing about a family is it can confront without conflict. It don't rely on conflict. And if conflict arises, the love roots them so deep they're able to deal with it and not be protracted. We don't have to rely on this long, protracted argument. I don't have to. If somebody does something to me and I never tell them, how can I ever expect them to make it right? If they didn't even know they hurt me. They may have said something just as a joke that just rubbed me the wrong way. I'm sure we've all been in that boat. Because we're people. But God's knitted us together so close that we're able. I can go to my brother and be like, look. Man, I just don't dig, I mean, I don't dig anything about what you said right there. You hit me the wrong way with that. And I know that he is going to, I know that he's going to cherish that. Because he's going to know that I told him for his best interest. I didn't do it to hurt him. I didn't do it to throw a dart. I didn't do it to smash him. I did it because I don't want him to be unnoticed about that thing and do it to somebody else and then it be a problem. We shouldn't weaken each other, right? So if I did something and and you knew I said something and it was hurtful to somebody but you never came and told me, what are you doing? Right? You're just allowing it to be. And then what if it happens again? You never say nothing. Allow it to happen again and again and again and again. You got to tell each other. I'm trying to stay on time. So let's look at a few hacks, just some little nuggets that I pulled out about communicating with each other. Number one, when, when you communicate with somebody else, you cannot approach with the mindset that you're on the right track. Unless you're back black and white by scripture. I'll put that little loophole in there. Because if you're back black and white by scripture, there ain't no, it is what it is. But nine times out of ten, if you approach somebody with any offense, most of the time it's preference. Most of the time it's, it's, it's not black and white in Scripture. What do you do with that? Do you not tell them? Do you not empower them to raise past that? You've got to be vulnerable enough to go to somebody and be like, okay, and be okay if you're wrong. Because you don't know their motive yet, right? I know you think you do. Because I do. I'll be like, yeah, I've got to approach so-and-so with this, and I'm sure they did it out of this reason. Until I talk to them, I have no clue. You're just building a mindset against somebody off second-hand information. How much do we do that? How much do we build a mindset off somebody just because we've seen them? A lot. How many times has somebody told you something about somebody and you built a mindset against them? And it formed an image of somebody in your head. That is the biggest pet peeve I think I have across the board. Because I've seen so many people have mindsets built against them and nobody knows their heart. There's ten people talking about somebody that they're this away when nobody's ever talked to them. Well, how do you know they're like that? Oh, so-and-so told me. That's cute. We got two cousins. I ain't going there. Don't build a mindset against somebody without going to them. If you're going to build a mindset about somebody else, go to them and ask them. Just man up. We heard that this morning. A lot of us need to grow. A lot of us need to move into this next area. And I believe this has a lot to do with it. Let's look at another hack real quick. Do not approach that you can tell somebody else what to do. Don't go to them thinking that you're fixing to tell somebody what to do, okay? They're a big kid. They can Now, you can tell them your opinion, and you can tell them what offended you or whatever. I can't go to somebody else sharing for them. Does that make sense? I can't go to my wife saying... I'm going to share this information on your behalf. I need to let her share her own information and me handle me. I don't need to go speak for her in this conversation. She, She can do it on her own. That's a big one with my marriage is we would find ourselves throwing darts at each other. And when you get in those tense moments, especially with your spouse, I know you live together and there's like all these frustrations and it's like, And we'll get in there, and it's like pulling hair, figuratively, I guess, Uh, whatever, literally, maybe literally. (laughs) But we'll find ourselves throwing darts at each other. It's like, well, you did this, 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 this. Well, you did this, this. You always do this. Really? You never said nothing about it till now? Don't go in there like that. Because it just makes things worse. And then you got to calm down. How many of you got to do that? Wait till the next morning. Talk to each other again. I'm sorry. Let's get this out of the way. Go in there sharing for yourself and your experience. If you got to share your feelings, share your feelings. Don't share hers or his or whoever you're approaching. We already talked about not building mindsets. Don't take secondhand knowledge of someone's intent of heart. God doesn't take secondhand knowledge of their heart so you shouldn't either. We don't have to, if I want to know somebody's intent of heart, I'd be man enough to just go ask them or woman enough to just go ask them. Be like, look, man, it's questionable in my mind that you're doing this. Where's your heart at? Share with me, because I, I want to know, and I don't, want to, I don't want to build a mindset. I don't want to go gossip. I don't want to tell all my friends that you're doing this out of the wrong intent. So where's your heart at? Just tell me. Vulnerabilities is the biggest thing that stops us from doing any of it. And I'm trying to close up. Vulnerability, we watched, uh, what's that girl's name? Brenny Brown? We There's this girl that did a big, huge scientific study, and she found herself in the middle of it. She's a shame, shame study. She studies shame, why people deal with shame. She just takes in tons of stories and, and looks at it and, collects all this data way deeper than I can ever get into. I just like hearing her stories, so I listen to her. But she, she talks a ton about vulnerability and how much we hold ourselves back from these relationships with each other. This is the biggest thing I want you to catch tonight. Most of the time, if you're not connecting with somebody else, it's because you're scared to death. Sit back and look at it. Evaluate it carefully, because I guarantee it's what it is. Well, they're going to think this about me. Well, they're... They're just gonna. They're not gonna understand. Nobody can understand this situation. They're your family. If we can't share it together, we've always said this before. If we can't get it right here, we'll never get it right out there. If I can't get my household right and my relationship right with my wife, I can never expect to be used in a high capacity by God, because I can't even handle what's at my house. So if we can't get this house right and the communication right across the board especially with our leaders, those of us that lead every Sunday, we have to be at a point where we can rely on each other, be vulnerable together. One thing that you'll notice about vulnerability, if you go into a conversation or a situation letting somebody know that you're being vulnerable, they will honor and cherish it. But I have to go let you know, so be like, look, I'm going to be really honest right now. I'm being really vulnerable with you. They it already sets a stage and I'm setting that person up for success in that conversation and in that moment because they know that I'm fixing to open up stuff that's deep in here to them and they have an opportunity to cherish it and be honest with it rather than going in telling somebody something and then them not take it serious as you expect them to, or you don't get the response you expect Set them up for success. Look, I'm being honest. I, I got to be vulnerable for a minute. And just tell them. Because a lot of times you can, you can tell it, and it'll all work itself out before you get done talking. Sure. You'll have stuff revealed to you that you never even thought about just because you was telling them and laying your heart out there about a situation. Sure. Vulnerability opens us up to hurt. It opens us up to shame. It opens us up to rejection. There are no guarantees There are chances of you being manipulated, and it tests your trust in everyone around you. You think that's a reason to be scared? A lot of us would say, no, you can never be scared, but it's real. For me to open up, and honestly, for me to even get up here and talk about this is vulnerable for me because I've struggled with everything on this paper. And most of it with my wife. And we had to learn the hard way. And it come through a lot of Danny Silk. He teaches on connection. He teaches on love. How we should treat these relationships. The culture of honor Josh preached about, what, six months ago, eight months ago. That's what that's based off of. Cherishing each other enough to know that we can be vulnerable together. It builds us close together. Who is your best friend? Think right now. Who is your best friend on earth right now? You know who they are. Everybody got it. That picture of who that person is. Some of you are laughing like you, you ain't got a best friend. I'll be. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Whoever your best friend is, are you super vulnerable with them? Do you tell them stuff? Is that one of your best friends? Because you open up to them, you feel like you can open up to them and they're not going to judge you. So shouldn't we treat each other that way in a family? Blood's thicker than water, ain't it? That's what the old saying is. And we're all connected by blood, right? The blood of Christ washed every one of us. He connected every one of us. So we should cherish it. We should hold that vulnerability. If somebody else is being vulnerable, we should hold that communication high. Because that's the only thing that connects us. That's the only thing that keeps us together. Me sharing my heart, you sharing your heart, that connects us together. I'm going to share this story as I get done, because I'm probably over my time. Okay. You got two minutes. I'm going to share it like, I guess it's been probably two years ago. We started coming here every every morning, basically. Six o'clock. And more times than not, we would find ourselves sitting in that sound room just talking, discussing the word, discussing what we believed. It wasn't always the same. We wasn't always on the same exact page. Some of us would get, one of us would get on something, the other one would get on something else, the other one. And when you, I, I promise you not, you can, you can never see the full picture of God that he wants you to see by yourself. Take that to the bank. I promise you. But you'll never be blown away by more when you're connected with those around you. And we would spend time back there and we would sit there and get rocked by the image of what God was connecting together when we would just communicate with each other. and Be like, man, God's putting this on my heart, man, I don't even know why. And somebody else would be like, look, this is what I was in yesterday. Just spending time together. But I'm going to tell you one thing that happened out of that. At that time, we didn't even know it, but we was building relation capital, relationship, relational capital. I'll say it in a minute. With each other that we didn't even know we was doing. We didn't even know we was investing in one another like that. It wasn't even on our scope. But when something hard hits the fan, and if you're hurt, or whatever the case may be, if you're offended, if, if whatever... You can always go work it out because you've invested that time with each other. I can always go to one of them guys that I spent that much time talking to and be like, look, man, I've just been battling with this. And this is it. And they know that I'm being vulnerable with them. And there's nothing that can tear it apart. What's that scripture? Love conquers all. If we're rooted in love, seeking everybody, seeking each other's best interests, being connected as family, you can't go wrong with that. Love conquers all. Thank you, guys.
2: So good. Communication. That's what we need. All right. Nathan, he took five of your minutes, so you're getting down to, nu- you're getting down to bare minimum. Next, we got my brother Nathan. Uh, Man, I just, I love this guy. I feel like I've known him all my life and what it's only been, it ain't even been that long now. Uh, But he's just one of those kindred spirits. We're just connected and I am excited every time he brings it. So solid. So uh, y'all give him a hand.
4: Thank you, brother. I am so nervous. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. It's been good so far, ain't it? Amen. I believe God's just, he started this a long time ago, no doubt, but, you know, just this morning I told Brother Dean, I said, well, I'm not going to be here tonight, you preach my message, so (laughs) no needing us uh, rehashing that, but just everything is just knitting together, and you know, I'm thankful for that, Uh, thankful for this body, we've been here a little over a year now, and uh, I'm just thankful and blessed, you know, and on behalf of me and my family, I just want to thank all y'all for everything that y'all mean to us, and just the uh, y'all's relationship is is just such a tremendous blessing to each and every one of us, and I and I hope that in turn we can be a blessing to you also. Uh, but let's go into the Word of God tonight. Uh, Scott may have took five of my minutes, uh, but Colby called me just before church, took time out, and and he said, "You got my twenty, brother. Go for it." So anyway, no, nah, I I told brother Dan, I said I think I can keep it right kind of in the in the realm here. I timed myself last night reading it, and I think I'm pretty close to 20 minutes. Uh, uh, Let's get into the Word of God. Genesis, if you got your Bible, Genesis chapter 22. I'm going to do my best to stick with my notes. Uh, I know some people don't like note preachers, but is one of my favorite preachers uh, that I grew up listening to said, These notes aren't for you, they're for me. They keep me in line, keep me from, you know, chasing rabbits and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> that way I ain't gotta say Amen, glory to God a hundred times and of course the message trying to think of something to say. Amen. Ah, and my nerves are working overtime, got my sinuses going, sorry about that. I sniffle. Uh, Genesis chapter 22, we're going to read a few verses here, beginning of verse 1. The word of God says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt or test Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Skip down to verse 9. The Bible says, And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. For the entirety of this day, Lord, for the word of God, which is the power of God unto salvation to all of us who believe. We thank you, Lord, that you've chosen the foolishness of preaching to confound the hearts and minds of even the wise and the learned. Lord, we thank you tonight, Lord, for your Holy Spirit, the way that you've knit everything together. And we just pray that you continue, Lord, to anoint and minister into this place. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to travel down a path tonight that few dared ever tread. and The reason this path is so rarely traveled is because it's it's filled with danger, trial, tribulation, great torments of mind and body, and even death. These are detestable thoughts to modern Christendom. They actually mean life to the true disciple of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Though these thoughts of trials, struggles, hardships, they're detestable To most of the modern church, for those of us who realize and see the bigger picture of things, they actually mean life to you and I, amen, who are children of God. A mystery that seems to elude the minds of many is the fact that we've been saved, we're being saved, and one day we shall be saved. In this statement, you have three points to salvation. That is one, justification. Two, sanctification. And three, the consummation of all things is the glorification of our bodies. At repentance, you and I are justified, which means we stand before God as if we have never sinned. Amen. I heard one preacher say, given the testimony of his salvation experience, the night that he was born again in a revival. He was 27 years old, and there that night alongside of him was a 7-year-old, both of them praying a prayer of repentance. He said, here I was, 27 years old, didn't know anything but sin, Snelt beside a seven-year-old who didn't even know what sin was. But yet, whenever he got up from that altar that night, he was just as clean as that seven-year-old. Amen, a life spent of living like hell and the devil. The devil was the Lord over his life, but that night, it was as if he had never sinned before. That's what justification is. That's the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. I can remember my own account laying there on that floor that night looking up into the darkness at heaven saying, Jesus I'm sorry for what I've done to you. I didn't wake up that next morning swinging from the chandeliers telling my wife that I got born again last night. Really in all honesty I didn't even know what happened to me but I knew that there was a change. That night whenever I prayed that simple little prayer, peace filled my life that I had never knew before. I laid down and my sleep was sweet that night all because of what God had done in my life. Amen. Most, however, will stop right there, drive their tent stakes down, and foolishly expect to receive a glorified body one day. The sad truth that is hard for any of us to grasp is that Christ has offered such such grace and forgiveness to all humanity. But instead of receiving this grace, the world will choose to stay in their sin, and most of the church will choose to stay in their rut. B.H. Clendenin said that all a rut is is a grave with both ends kicked out of it. And that's where most people in the church are today. They're in that rut of life, amen, not realizing, understanding that they were saved for something greater, amen, than just sitting on a church pew. They were saved for greater things, amen, if they would just let God work those things out in them. Now, we as Christian witnesses, born-again believers, who have our abilities exercised to discern good and evil have very little trouble judging the faults and the failures and and others, But we have a dangerous tendency, amen, that when the light turns inward on you and I, hallelujah, we want to shrink back and retreat into the shadows of religion where we can just fit in. Amen. Where we can just pretend that everything is okay when everything is not okay. Isaiah said in the book called by his name, hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Now you may get something else out of that than what I get. Amen. But whatever I I glean, what I glean from that saying is uh, that if there's something wrong in my life, uh, amen, if I'm having trouble or difficulty, there's no sense in me trying to hide, amen, or fall back and blend into the religious scenery of anything. Amen. I got to let God shine the light of His Word and do a work of the Holy Ghost in my life to rid me of whatever it is He's trying to reveal hide not thyself, uh, amen, from thine own flesh. Uh, now I know that most of you probably realize, some of you have even asked me, amen, brother Nathan, why ain't you been preaching here lately, been missing you, love hearing you, amen, and I know that I'm not one just to open up to a lot of people, I'm not one just to puke on you, you know, and to say, here it is, just unload everything on you, but I passed through a season and a time, and I've come to learn whether I'm wrong or whether I'm right, we'll let the Holy Ghost judge that, but in the course of my Christian life if I feel like that there's something wrong. There's been times where I've battled in my mind and I knew that there was no sense in me trying to get in a pulpit and help nobody. Amen. When I couldn't even help myself. Uh, but I've always pulled back. Amen. And begin to seek God and let God work things out in my life. Uh, amen. And whenever i notice noticed that there's something wrong. Amen. There's been times where it's so it's so dark in my mind. I couldn't even think coherently. Amen. But whether it be thoughts, struggles, even depression that I faced in my life, uh, or whether it be temptations that I feel like it uh, is trying to overcome me. Amen. I see nothing wrong with me stepping back for a season and saying, God, there's something in me that I need you to work on. There's something in me, whether it be anger, whether it be pride, whether it be jealousy or whatever. Amen. Don't throw a stone at me. If I don't get up here and preach, I need somebody to preach to me I've come to realize that if I'm in a low place in my life I can't preach myself happy I can't sing myself happy the only way that I can find the deliverance that I need in my life amen is to get in an altar of prayer and let the light of God sweep over my soul hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Why? Because God is wanting to do a work in the hearts and the lives of His children. Isaiah 58 and 6 says this, it's not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness. This is what God wants to do in us, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. There's yokes whether you want to admit it or not. Somewhere along the lines, God's going to let things run head on into you to make you realize that there's things in you that's not like Jesus. Amen. And he loves us too much to let us stay like that. He said, I want to break every yoke off of you. Now, this is God's desire that all wickedness, heavy burdens, oppression, and yoke be broken off of his people. So what's the problem? You and I are the problem. Something in us is the issue. Sanctification, which is what I'm dealing with tonight, is the place of the sacrificial altar where you, that is your flesh, amen, comes to that place where we die so that Christ can live. We quote Paul all the time but I doubt there's anybody in this place that is at the level of Paul where we can truly say it's no longer I but it's Christ that lives within me I know that we all have our good seasons our good days amen but can we honestly say for me to be on this earth it's for Christ to be on this earth it's no longer I, but it's Christ. You see, we've got to understand that everything that's not like Christ has to be slain. Everything in you and I that is not like our Lord has to die. Paul said in Romans 7, 24, "O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And Paul answered his own question when he said, I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord that this is going to happen. Hallelujah to God. He answered his own heart's cry that day. He realized that it's not me, but it's Christ working in me. But it's a process that you and I have to allow. Amen. The Holy Ghost is a gentleman, the devil's not. Amen. You open the door a little bit, and that devil will beat the thing down getting to you. Amen. But you got to invite that sweet Holy Ghost 10 to do what he wants to do in your life and in your home. We want our lives right, we want our families right. We want the church right. Amen. We'll swing the door open wide and say, Holy Ghost, have your way. Most so-called Christians are making a vain attempt at trying to avoid this necessary step. They'll come to the church, sing their songs, amen, the preacher, as he talks about how they'll all cross over that river some glad day. But I believe it is important to note here God's dealings with his own children of Israel. He delivered them out of Egypt and out from under the rule of Pharaoh, which is all symbolic of the world, the flesh and the devil. And he done it all in one day. The next 40 years was spent trying to get Egypt out of them and those who failed to let him do it. Their carcasses are laying in a wilderness somewhere tonight. Amen. Rotted, dry, dead. Amen. But let it not be so said of us that we wouldn't allow the word of God to be mixed with faith and let the Holy Ghost cleanse you and I. Their carcasses are in the wilderness. Amen. And they never got to cross that river into the promised land. What am I trying to say? God ripped the womb of Egypt open to deliver three million people out in one day. And what he done for one, he'll do for each and everyone else. But if we reject this path of sanctification, we won't cross that river. We won't even see that river. Everybody's singing about a river they're going to cross someday. Amen. But they don't have any idea what they're even talking about. Amen. They rely so much on what happened 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. But what are you letting God do in you today? What changes are you allowing Him to make? Are you allowing Him to sanctify your walk, your talk, your attitude, your beliefs? Amen. There's a lot of things that I believed in the course of my Christianity. And just like Brother Freddie, amen, I got a... I had to be laid flat on my back, amen, to realize that a lot of what I was thinking was wrong. A lot of what I was believing was wrong, amen. And I had to allow God to even sanctify the way that I looked at Him. I had to allow Him to change some things. It's a hard lesson learned, amen, but I come to realize that a lesson bought is one that's really learned. Uh, Go through something that costs you something. Go through something that robs you of your health and your wealth, amen, to where it is only God that you can fix your eyes on. A preacher can't help me. Somebody's sermon can't help me. Somebody's theology can't help me. Only God can help me right now. And I, like Brother Freddie, pray that you never had to come to that place. Amen. But if you ever find yourself there, amen, don't blame God. Just know it's the grace of God and His love for you that wants to change something about you. Maybe even your own perspective of who He is. Our eternities hinge on this center point called sanctification because there is no glorification without a sanctification. You may be sitting here tonight wondering what is sanctification. Watchman Nee in his book called The Normal Christian Life said it like this. Many think of Christianity as a changed life, but it's not that at all. What it really is is an exchanged life. It's not just a changed life, but an exchanged life. So sanctification is an exchange of one life for another. It's in exchange for our life for His. And what a wonderful thought that is tonight to realize that God is willing to impart to me the very life of the Lord Jesus Christ all in trade of my miserable life. What is it about our fleshly ways and our fleshly desires and everything that we hold so dear to that can even compare to the eternal weight of glory, amen, of the life of Christ being expressed through us? There is no comparison. But God is saying to us tonight, just give me your miserable life and I'll give you the life of my son. It don't sound like a very good trade on his part. Amen. It seems like we're the ones getting the better end of that deal. If we choose to travel down this path, I believe it would be a help to us to look and learn from those who traveled it before us. And God gives us those examples through His Word. As we examine the lives of many of the characters of the Bible, we can't help but compare our lives to many of these so-called giants of God. We open up tonight reading in Genesis 22, but if we were to go back ten chapters, we would see how it all began. There in chapter 12 of Genesis, Abraham was called out of Ur the Chaldees by God Himself. Now if you read that account, you see that he left out, uh, amen, and went on that journey. But if you look into the book of Acts, uh, uh, Stephen tells us in his sermon that in the midst of that journey from Ur the Chaldees to Canaan's land, he made a pit stop somewhere. It says he stopped off in Haran. And we don't know how long a space of time it was. Uh, amen. But we do know through the account of Genesis that he took Lot, his brother. But Stephen tells us not only did he, take it, did he take his nephew, I'm sorry, his nephew Lot, but he also took his daddy with him. So they stop off at a place called Haran. And if you look at it, geographically speaking, Haran is dead center halfway of the journey between where God called him from to the promised land. So they stop right there and Stephen tells us in his sermon in the seventh chapter of the book of Acts that they didn't go anywhere until the old man died. He so said, when Abraham's father died then, they moved. If you and I Amen. We're going to have to understand the spiritual implication of what's being said here. You see, here Abraham was halfway, amen, to where God was wanting to bring him to. But something had to die. What's he saying? You can't bring that old man. No disrespect to Abraham's papa. Amen. But none of that old man can enter into the place of where I'm bringing you. Abraham, as well as you and I, must move out and claim the spiritual ground. It's not just going to be handed to us. Steps of faith must be taken on our part. But you would think after each great step of faith, it might get easier. But much like with the disciples who forsook all, just in the initial following of Christ, it gets harder with tests and trial and dare we admit failure, as carnal fleshly ways clash on to the very holiness of God. You see, that's what happens is God tries to bring us into that new realm and do that new thing and bring us into that place of transition. Amen. Before we can ever get there in its fullness, something in us has to be that burnt offering. Before there can ever be an increase of Christ in us, something in us has to die. That bottle has to become less full of us so that Christ can be poured in. So in our trials and our struggles and our tests, it's our carnal and fleshly ways that meet head on into the holiness of God. And God says, just as He stopped Moses, before He got to that burning bush, He said, wait a minute, son. Before you can go any closer, something's going to have to happen. There's something something that is separating you from Me, and you're going to have to take it off. For God's perfect will to be realized through Abraham, He had to pass through many an awful time. In Genesis 22... Two and three, the word says, God commanded him, Take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And it says, And Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clayed the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place which God had told him of. A.W. Tozer said, the author of Genesis spared us the agony that old man went through that night as he wrestled with God over what God had told him to do. He said, take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, and go and offer him up as a burnt offering. Can you imagine the love that you have for your children? And if you were in Abraham's shoes tonight, the agony, the torment that you would go through as you wrestle with God as to why, what's the meaning behind this? Why do you want this? Why? Amen, I already gave away one son. Why are you wanting to take away the promise now? But just like Jesus' Gethsemane, Abraham had to pass through his own Gethsemane. That word Gethsemane means a place of crushing, a place of brokenness. It's a place where each and every one of us are going to find ourselves at some point in time in our life. A place to where if God doesn't show up, then we're a dead man. We pass through these Gethsemanes in our life not to destroy us, but that Christ can be revealed in us. As God won out that night in that awful prayer meeting, we come to verse 10 where it says, And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. How could a man do such a thing? How could a man come to a place to where he would offer up his own son to a God that he could not even see. Hebrews 11 and 17 through 19 gives us that answer. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he, that, and he that had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise Him up even from the dead. from whence also He received Him as a type. And I'll touch on that in just a second. How was He able to go to such extents? Amen. To obey the voice of God because He deemed God faithful. That if He were to follow through with the slaying of the promise that God would even raise Him up. This is Abraham's story in a nutshell. God called Abraham out of his native land and away from his kindred and his family to go into another nation. Amen. But everything that he left behind was paid back with a spiritual blessing. Amen. Though he left all of his country and his kindred, he received from God a family greater in number than even the sand and the stars. He gave up the well-watered plain to his nephew. Amen, amen. But he gained a land further than his eye could see, more than his mind could even dream of. He rejected the spoils of battle, but he was blessed by Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God. You see, everything he gives up, God in turn blesses him with more he offered a sacrifice that day, amen, and that horror of great darkness came upon him. But in doing so, he gained a covenant relationship with God that nothing could break. He put the bondwoman out and her son Ishmael so that the promise could grow. And in the end, he was willing to sacrifice the very promised child, but he gained a Savior. The writer of Hebrews says there in that end of that verse 17, amen, or verse 19, he said, from whence also he received him in a figure. Isaac was symbolic of the promise. Isaac was symbolic of Christ. Uh, Isaac, he referred to him as his only begotten whom Christ, our Lord Jesus, was the only begotten of the Father. He was a type of Christ. He was willing to give up that promised child, but in the end, he gained a Savior. What I want to leave you with tonight is this thought, that death is the key to life. Whatever God requires of us to lay on that sacrificial altar is nothing in light of eternity. And whatever we give of ourselves on that altar will be given back to us in life. Whatever we're willing to put to death of us, of our own selves, of our own nature, of our own disposition, of our own stinking way of thinking, whatever we put on that altar, whatever we allow to be sacrificed, God always gives greater in return. I want to read a poem to you tonight in closing. It probably just sums up my whole thought of this message. The title of the poem is Beauty for Ashes. I sought the Lord to remove all my dross. So He pointed to a path that led to His cross. He said the pathway is dark, lonely, and dim, but it's the one I must travel to be more like Him. Daily I travel and daily I find I come to the crossroad time after time where fleshly desires so often I found though thought of so highly must fall to the ground. His cross, my flesh, so many times clashes and when the battle is over all I'm left with is ashes. But to walk Calvary's road is my life's solemn duty that I might wake in His likeness, arrayed in His beauty. This path of sanctification cannot be rejected on our part. There's nothing in my life or in your life that's so precious that we should hold on to it and risk our eternities. God's requiring stuff of each and every one of us. And many times He has to pass us through those dark seasons and those horrors of great darkness like Brother Abraham. But in the end of it all, we're going to realize that all of that didn't even matter. Because what God had in store for us was far greater, far more useful would hold a lot more weight in eternity than anything that we thought precious here in this life. Because the only things that are done for Christ in this life is going to matter in eternity. Everything else is trifling. Nothing else matters. But what have I allowed God to do in and through me is what really going to matter. Amen?
2: Before we move on, I'm going to, I'm just, I asked him if he would stay for just a second and pray over us as a body. I mean, that's just not a word that you just throw out there and you move on. Uh, and I'm just going to ask that he, God gave him the anointing, the the, the the desire, this message tonight. And I think that we should join in with him, him leading us. And let's just pray this, that he spoke tonight over us, us as a whole here at, here at Life Church and, and, and visitors as well. So, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your
4: seeding. Great and precious promises. Thank you for the new thing, the vision. Everything that you want to do in this body. Your word promises us, Lord, that you're going to give us beauty for ashes. God, and as a body, as we join together in a solemn, unified prayer tonight, Lord, we just welcome your Holy Spirit to come and shine the light of your holy word into our life. And not just us as individuals, but into our homes and into this church to reveal everything that is not like you. Make us like Jesus. Whatever the cost, make us like your Son. Jesus, you were the first begotten. And the word tells us emphatically that you gave your life that you could bring many sons into glory. The invitation has been given to each and every one of us to come and to be a part of this work that you're doing in life, church. And not only us, but in churches abroad. God, because this thing that you're doing, Lord, I believe that it's an international thing. It's a worldwide thing where you're wanting to truly unify every Bible believer. And I'm asking God that you would work right here in our geographical location in this house tonight. Everyone that heard the word tonight, that they would not leave here and be forgetful hearers but be doers of Your Word. The promises are great. The spoils are going to be great. There may be trials and sufferings and heartaches and loss now, but we've read the end of Your book and You've given us revelation by the Holy Ghost. You're going to give us a crown of glory. You're going to give us beauty for ashes. Touch these people, touch the remainder of this service. Bless my brother as he brings forth your word in Jesus'
2: name. Amen. Thank you, Brother Kamal.
5: <laughs> praise God, glory to God. Praise God. I read on the. Um, praise God, glory to God. I read on the screen a while ago. When we was getting prepared, it said, um, it said, it said, if if destruction, if destruction don't destroy us, distractions would do their best. Amen. I read that on the screen. I just thought that was pretty good. Uh, I'm reading out of Matthew 26 and 36. If destruction don't destroy us, then distractions would do their best. Praise God. Glory to God. Uh, Then come Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane. And saith unto the disciples, sit you here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Terry, you here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed. Saying, O oh my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. And he cometh unto his disciples and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Praise God. Glory to God. We're going to turn now to 1 Peter 5 and 8. Glory to your precious Lord. Glory to your precious Lord. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Praise God. Glory to your precious Lord. Lord, we just prayed that you anoint us to preach this gospel, precious Lord. Praise you, Lord, that you be with us. Let every word that you have bubbled up in my spirit speak to your people, Lord. Address it. How? How, how you would want to address it, Lord, with the tone and aggressiveness of your word. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory to your precious Lord. Glory to your precious Lord. God says, God says, what? 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 Are you asleep? He says, are you asleep? He says, you cannot watch with me for one hour. All I ask is that you watch with me for one hour. Huh? He says the enemy, you're the enemy, the adversary is roaring like a lion trying to see who he may devour, And you are asleep. And you are asleep are you that tired are you that worn out that you cannot watch and pray with me one hour are you so busy Martha are you so distracted that you have no time for your Lord are you so distracted are you so busy amen are you too busy to spend time with your Lord you are asleep God says our priorities are all messed up amen he says the Bible says seek you first the kingdom The Bible says, set your heart on God early in the morning. Amen. But we wake up in the morning seeking a house note. Oh, I'm going to pay the bills. We wake up seeking that job. We wake up seeking Facebook. That house, that job, Facebook will not be able to hold you during the storm. Amen. That Facebook will not be able to hold you. God says, I am your rock. I am your protection. Look to me. Or have you found another? Have you found another? Where is my bride? Huh? God says you must have found another because every time I call you, every time I call you, I can't get a hold to you. It sounds like this. Oh, green. Ring the ring. Oh, hello. Uh, Sorry, I'm not available right now. Uh, Sorry, I'm not home. Uh, Must be at work. Uh, Must be busy. Must be talking to someone else. I must be doing something. My goodness. Uh, Can you just... uh, Leave your leave your name number and I call you back. You check your call log. Miss call from God. Miss call after miss call. Miss call after miss call Miss call after miss call Miss call after miss call You say oh oh God, God been calling me all day Miss call after miss call You don't have a sense enough to realize This is an emergency God is trying to get a hold of you God is trying to get a hold of you You will not be able to stand The wiles of the devil If you do not put on the full armor of God And you cannot have on the armor of God If you are not reading your word And if you are not spending time with God. Amen. God says it's time to set your affections on him. We are too distracted. We are too worn out. We are too focused on the job. We're too focused on the and you have no time to pray. No time to pray. The spirit in here was struggling this morning because none of us are praying. Amen. God says it's time to refocus because you will not be able to endure the storm If you're not prepared, see Jesus, he was prepared to endure the cross. Why? Because he was able to pray three times to get his mind right. See, if you're prepared for the storm, it's easier to endure a storm when you're prepared. But if a storm catches you off guard, it causes more destruction. Amen. You are not prepared to endure what is coming. Amen. God says, wake up. Wake up now. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord right now. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So God's word tonight, as I settle down, God says, God says, we have our priorities all mixed up. Amen. We, we, we seek less valuable things over more valuable things. There's nothing more important than being in the presence of God. Amen. So you're waking up, you don't have time to pray. Well, Jesus prayed three times while they were asleep. Sometimes you got to get up in the middle of the night where everybody else is asleep and pray. Amen. Amen. If you want to be mentally prepared for the storm to endure, you must be prepared. You must be ready. You cannot stand against what the enemy is coming. It's hard times, it's coming. Listen to me. Hard times is coming. Don't get caught unprepared. Don't get caught slipping. He says, Watch with me. Be on guard. Be cautious. Be vigilant. The enemy. He is roaring, he's looking, he's looking for you and you are vulnerable. He's not gonna pass over someone that's prayed up and mentally prepared. He's looking for those that are vulnerable. Hey man, he's trying to say, he said, I'm gonna go seeking whom I may devour. Oh Nathan, oh he's busy, he's working all day. He ain't been praying, he's tired. I'm gonna come to his house. I'm gonna destroy your family. The thief is here to come. He is here to steal, kill, and destroy. And the one that can give you life, you are not spending time with. Okay? We can go on and act like this is another sermon. We can go on and have church as usual. But God says, come on. They're not answering my call. They're not answering me. I call them. I call them. He says, won't you go tell them? Pick up your phone. <laughs> huh? That's what God saying. They're not answering me. Won't you go tell them? Pick up your phone. Answer his call. The storm is coming. If you're prepared for it, you can endure it. Amen? Yeah. Praise God. Glory to you. Let me get a sip of this water. I got a conclusion. Praise God. Glory. Praise God. Seek God. One scripture says, set your heart in. Set your heart on God. That's your mind. Remembrance. them often reflect on them. It says, set that means you got to intend to do it. You got you to gotta make an effort. You got to do it on purpose. Because there's so much going on that's distracting you. Your to-do list. Oh, I got to get up. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do this. I got to do that. And no, none of that is, is, is orchestrated first with God. You have not see God first. You wake up trying to fulfill a to-do list. And you go the whole day without even reflecting on God. Amen. And then you're wondering why you don't have no peace. You're wondering why you don't have no joy. And then when the storm comes, you're crashing. Oh, it caught me off guard. Oh, I didn't, can't believe that happened. I didn't see that coming. Well, Jesus, he's seen it coming. He said, my hour has come. The hour has come, they're here. Because he was discerning. He was focused. He seen it. He was prepared. So much catching us off guard. So many people dying. Oh, my God, I, didn't, I couldn't see him dying so soon. Why? Jesus was aware that his moment was coming. He was aware because he was prayed up, spending time with God. God is our anchor. Spend time with God. Seek the Lord early. Amen. Seek God first. If you got to set your clock an hour before you normally get up, seek God first. If people in your house sleep, you wake up and you go pray. You get up because God said you will not, you will not be able to endure. I'm telling y'all, God says you will not be able to endure the storms that are approaching if you are not mentally prepared. And the only way you get prepared is by reading this word. You can't put on the full armor of God without the word. How you going to have faith and truth and righteousness? You don't even have the word. You're vulnerable. Wake up. Wake up and pray. Seek the Lord before destruction comes. Amen. Praise God. That's my word for tonight.
1: Wow. Somebody get on your feet. Give the Lord a hand. Praise. <laughs> uh, Woo. Wow. Hadn't this been a blessing? Been a blessing. Different personalities, perspectives, everybody preaching the word. Amen. Praise God. Nathan, it was wonderful. Scott, Freddie, Kamal, appreciate you just obeying the Lord. And we're taking something home with us tonight. Amen. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to the Life Church podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.